So we had one choice as a startup uh, where to place our bets and we said, let's place it on Kubernetes. A year down the line, it was very clear that that bet was the right one, that Kubernetes was community-centric. Chaos testing will become part of a developer's mindset and they will be scared initially, but imagine chaos as an extension to your code. If you follow that principle, you will find bugs before somebody else finds them. You are listening to the Kubelist Podcast, a show interviewing project maintainers for CNCF Sandbox, Incubating, and Graduated Projects. We'll discuss each project to understand where it came from and discuss the roadmap and plans to continue the project. Hi, I'm Mark Campbell. I publish the Kubelist weekly newsletter dedicated to Kubernetes and the CNCF ecosystem. I'm the founder and CTO at Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors like Puppet, Harness, HashiCorp, Sneak, and many others to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software. Check us out at replicated.com. The Kubelist podcast is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Finally, sign up for the Kubelist weekly newsletter and read previous issues at kubelist.com. In this episode, I'm talking with Uma Mukara, the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder at Mayadata. Mayadata is the company behind a few popular projects, including Litmus Chaos. This was a fun conversation as we got to talk about the origins of the Litmus project and why chaos engineering was so critical to the adoption and success of OpenEBS, another Mayadata project. Uma was able to explain how they were able to connect with Intuit as an early design partner and to build Litmus. Now, Litmus didn't invent chaos principles, but Uma does a great job of explaining how Mayadata thinks about the problem in a good way to implement chaos by comparing the design and architecture of Litmus with Gremlin, Chaos Mesh, and others. We go on to talk for a bit about chaos engineering in general and how to think about adopting inevitable chaos, even if you aren't willing to break stuff on purpose yet. The Litmus project is quite mature for an early sandbox project, and I learned a lot about the product and chaos engineering principles in general from this conversation. At the end, we move on to talk a little bit more about the roadmap and what's coming and what it's going to take to get Litmus to advance out of the sandbox into the incubation phase in the CNCF. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Uma paints a really clear vision of how Kubernetes and microservices just really need chaos engineering principles. So we're here today with Uma Mukara, the Chief Operating Officer of Maya Data, who recently released a project into the CNCF sandbox called Litmus Chaos. We want to talk with Uma about this project, the motivation for it, the current state, and the future plans. So welcome, Uma. Hi, Mark. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Just to get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about like your background, your professional background, and how you got started with Maya Data, potentially even go farther back before that, and you know what led you to your career into working with projects in the CNCF ecosystem. Right. We started Maya Data about uh, four years ago, along with uh, Evan Powell. Before that, uh, for about uh, six years, I did storage for virtual machines. The company name was uh, CloudByte, and that was uh, doing storage in containers, while we did not really call it as uh, containers. So that was really trying to put uh, isolation around storage for virtual machines. And uh, I did that for about five years. We did really well. And then we saw a great shift uh, towards open source and DevOps being um, one of the primary adopters of the new shift towards uh, open source and microservices. 
then um, I was really thinking, look, there is a big wave coming in, big shift. Either I can grow this company, a bit of challenges, or we can actually pivot uh, everything into open source and uh, adopt the microservices model, like for real, right? Um, that's when we started uh, OpenEBS, that was towards the end of 2016. Uh, the idea was to create an open source technology that is really oriented towards uh, microservices, try to do open EBS or storage in user space. We chose Kubernetes to be our orchestration uh, layer or the platform. We really bet on Kubernetes. And uh, we had those choices like uh, Nomad in 2016. The first release of open EBS was having Nomad as the underlying orchestrator. But very soon we saw Kubernetes was one of the choices for most of um, the adopters uh, of this microservices um, wave, and then we moved on primarily to Kubernetes, and that's how my data was uh, founded. It's to provide uh, uh, data uh, in a pure anti-cloud lock-in manner to enterprises who are is going towards a microservices model, and we wanted to build this project in an open way, uh, community-centric so that um, it gets cooked uh, and then really marry the management of it towards uh, the way you do uh, Kubernetes, right? So that's how I really started. I didn't have the plan of uh, starting uh, Litmus or Chaos Engineering back in 2017. But what happened uh, was when we really built the original initial version of the project, it was ready to be tested. I wanted to adopt chaos engineering in our DevOps, internal DevOps, and also for the community where uh, we wanted to tell the community that uh, OpenEBS uh, is being tested uh, for all, along all failure paths, and we wanted it to be demonstrated in a way that uh, community can see. Right. So, how did you do your testing? Right. So, whoever adopts OpenEBS, they want actually do those testings before actually taking OpenEBS into production. So it was around 2018, we started writing uh, chaos tests. Uh, of course, I looked around uh, various choices for writing the chaos test cases or framework for that. Uh, we all know Chaos Monkey, uh, but it was not for Kubernetes. And uh, we wanted chaos tests to be a completely declarative and Kubernetes friendly, it should be like native to Kubernetes way of doing things. So we started writing um, this project, uh, Litmus, originally for the OpenEBS community and uh, also for our own purpose. We had a SaaS product called uh, Director, which is now we call as uh, Kubera. That Director SaaS product also needed to be tested because it was completely on Kubernetes. So we used Litmus for chaos testing or SaaS as well as uh, OpenEBS. So that's really how we started with uh, Litmus. But then um, we saw a lot of interest coming in from community. There were uh, initial interests in, hey, you know, this is cool. And we said, let's actually turn this into a project. We got a real good uh, encouragement from CNCF uh, in those early days, uh, right? So CNCF started a chaos engineering work group and we saw that there was a lot of initiatives in inside CNCF to promote chaos engineering. And uh, Chris uh, A from CNCF uh, really invited us to the working group and uh, we said, yes, let's, um, let's actually start this project. And we announced it in KubeCon Europe 2018. 
but we really geared towards testing open EBS using Litmus. And um, around six months down the line, we realized uh, operators were becoming a thing around end of 2018. And um, I thought, let's actually write a chaos operator, chaos CRDs. Let's make it more generic uh, among Kubernetes users on how to do chaos. And chaos is a way to build resilience into whatever they're deploying on Kubernetes or Kubernetes itself. So that's how we started providing a kind of a shape to chaos engineering for Kubernetes. And uh, then we staffed uh, more people because we really believed in uh, this becoming a kind of a need. And uh, there were uh, signals that a lot of interest was coming uh, towards the CNCF ecosystem, people asking, and we saw Gremlin as well being um, you know reasonably adopted here and there. So we thought we need to have a chaos engineering project in a Kubernetes native way. So that's really how it started. Yeah, that's great. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about Gremlin and like the the whole chaos engineering ecosystem, but early bets on Kubernetes, you know, 20 it like here we are at the end of 2020 and it seems obvious that, you know, making a Kubernetes native chaos service is the way to go, but like back in 2016, I imagine the bet was on microservices before Kubernetes, as you were just talking about. Can you talk a little bit more about like the traction you saw in the Kubernetes ecosystem that made you decide to go all in on Kubernetes specifically for the product that you're building? Yeah, I mean, uh, we had uh, three different choices <laughs> at that time. Uh, generally, microservices meant at that time Docker uh, was the word that comes in into your mind. And then uh, you had uh, three choices uh, to orchestrate these uh, containers, uh, Kubernetes and uh, Docker, Swarm and Mesosphere. So these were the popular choices. So what led us to believe uh, Kubernetes uh, was um, the CNCF, right? So we saw the early KubeCons around 2017 was like <laughs> was awesome, and uh, it was a very natural. The community is going to come around it, and there was a strong force trying to put the community together. And it was clear to us that Kubernetes was uh, a community centric, and probably it will lead to broader growth uh, or adoption. And then we did a few interviews with uh, very large friends or customers who were in the similar early adoption of containers um, as a strategy. So they were using their Docker or Mesosphere uh, at that time, but they had longer term plans to consider Kubernetes as well. So we had one choice as a startup uh, where to place our bets and uh, we said, um, Let's place it on uh, Kubernetes, and uh, that's how I think you know. A, a year down the line, it was very clear that that bet was the right one, and um, yeah, I think the entire cloud native ecosystem. Uh, I personally believe that it has gone into a successful path, mainly because of the foundation and how it's being run, and you know the transparency, and at least the driving force is uh, pretty clear. That's great. You mentioned that you originally started out creating Litmus as a way to prove and show and add transparency into the testing that the team was doing around OpenEBS and the other products that you were shipping. I'm curious, like, what was required for you to take that project that was dedicated to testing microservice storage, right? It was probably pretty purpose-built at the time and turn it into a more generic you know, solution to test any microservice architecture in Kubernetes. Did the Kubernetes API help with that? Like, what did it take to like, make that transition? 
Yeah, first of all, why it was, we felt it was uh, a need for a broader uh, set of users. And uh, second is uh, about, uh, you know, what did it take for us to uh, move towards a common API? So the first one is uh, OpenEBS. We were, uh, I mean, it's a data product. So you need to test your data. And data is the most critical thing of your uh, uh, application stack. You cannot lose data at any any point. So in order to test your data, things can go wrong anywhere, right? So either in infrastructure, within your software, and also you know something can go wrong at the application itself. So it really meant that uh, do chaos testing at all levels, right? You had to see who's consuming your data and. What happens if that pod is moved from here to there and will OpenEBS continue to serve the data and will the application continue to live on uh, without any disconnection? So how to introduce that chaos? And then, you know, within our OpenEBS architecture, if a target pod goes or hangs and slows down severely, what happens uh, to the application? So it's really the observability was at the top layer and then the chaos can go anywhere. So we ended up writing the chaos test originally in Ansible, the normal way for applications, certain set of databases, and then open EBS and then underlying, uh, let's take the node CPU uh, very high. Let's uh, eat some memory in some of the nodes and let's uh, fill up the disks. Let's lose the disks. So this kind of things. And then the API that really led us to believe that let's create an infrastructure in a very generic way for chaos is the CRDs. I think around 2018, the CRDs came in into the picture. Uh, I think that was one of the announcements that happened in KubeCon. Then came the operator around uh, CRDs. So there was a very clear path that was visible on how applications uh, need to be, will be built and orchestrated by uh, themselves with uh, Kubernetes as the underlying substrate. So that really believed us we should use that API, the operator API, and uh, the CRDs uh, to build a very generic framework for Kubernetes uh, chaos. And then uh, underlying thing that is, there is an orchestration layer for chaos at the top. Below that layer is the actual experiments, you know, different tests that you can do. So CRDs and operators, these were the ones that led us to really where, uh, and chaos was the original need, but these two things together with this chaos need is really the litmus now, right? And then we are, of course, building much more on top of that right now. But um, yeah, that's probably how we ended up here, Mark. Yeah, that makes sense. Back when you were creating it, there were other chaos products out there. Gremlin comes to mind. Right around the same time that litmus was added into the CNCF sandbox, another product was called Chaos Mesh. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the motivating factor to continue working on an independent project. What Maybe what are the differences between uh, Litmus versus Chaos Mesh and Gremlin and where the strengths are of your product, the special use cases that it like handles really well? Yeah, I mean, the difference between Gremlin and uh, Litmus is, you know, we are open source, uh, we are cloud native in the sense that the chaos is built, orchestrated, and probably monitored as well in a cloud native way through YAML constructs, YAML manifests. So if, if an organization or enterprise is looking at uh, doing things in cloud-native way, uh, it must probably is a better off choice. So you can do GitOps. You can automate uh, highly scalable chaos workflows uh, using Litmus because everything is YAML and you can use uh, Argo workflows 
and Argo CD for uh, continuous deployment and then really build uh, uh, the real DevOps around chaos, right? So that's that's probably how I would differentiate between uh, uh, Litmus and Gremlin. It's a completely open source uh, project and even new features that are being built, uh, Litmus Portal, which is like an observability platform for chaos, uh, is also completely open, right? Uh, now it's part of CNCF, uh, so uh, it's governed by a larger community, and then it's it's going on well. And uh, the difference uh, between Chaos Mesh and Litmus, I think uh, both of us started around testing the storage-related projects, right? So TiDB and OpenEBS, they are uh, stateful workloads-centric. Uh, and um, probably they also felt um, there is a need for a framework that is needed for testing uh, TIDB, exactly how we felt with the OpenEBS. But primarily, the difference is we are considering it a little bit more like a framework in addition to the actual experiments. So for example, Litmus is Litmus Orchestrator, Litmus Hub, and Litmus Experiments, Litmus Operators. Right? It's like you can envision chaos engineering or resilience engineering for an organization. You know, what is my chaos engineering strategy for the next two years? And what's the framework that's needed? And Litmus uh, will come into that picture, right? And also, technically, the bigger difference between uh, Litmus and uh, Chaos Mesh is uh, the way we introduce uh, chaos. Uh, to introduce chaos with Litmus, you don't need to change application spec, right? So you stay outside the application spec and try to introduce chaos using the Kubernetes APIs. You don't need to sit inside a sidecar and then do that, which could be a big problem for many users. My application spec itself is being managed through GitOps and that cannot be changed. And even if I go and put a sidecar, it could be removed by somebody, some change that's happening on the application ML file. So we wanted to take a don't patch application spec. That is a kind of strategy that we took. And what I heard, or at least that I know of from Chaos Mesh, is you just need to go and touch the application spec, which will have some advantages in some areas, but that's one of the primary differences. The other one is the hub itself. With hub and the CRD infrastructure, what happens is you can bring your chaos logic onto Litmus infrastructure very, very quickly. For example, there are a few other chaos engineering projects like uh, Pumba or Powerful Seal from Bloomberg. So we have integrated uh, at least uh, some of these experiments of uh, these two projects into uh, Litmus originally. Right. So now we have uh, native experiments uh, that are native to Litmus uh, for some of this uh, chaos. But it was very easy for us to run a specific chaos that was written in a powerful seal and run it on Litmus because um, just put that into a Docker container image and call that as a library inside our experiment spec. Right. So it's we, we call it as bring your own chaos. If you are already doing some chaos and you want to take advantage of the Litmus framework overall, it's probably a day's work for a, a developer. And then, yeah, now you had five experiments uh, that you're using, and then you just made them compatible with Litmus. Now that you just don't have five, you have another 32, right? So you now have 37 experiments that you can go and uh, do your chaos magic on your uh, Kubernetes. So that was another advantage, right? So it really is the hub and 
uh, the way we run chaos uh, without touching application. That's interesting. So it sounds like a lot of the design decisions around Litmus were driven by the way you see organizations being able to integrate chaos engineering into their workflows. I'd love to jump in and discuss for a little bit, of, like if you have recommendations around best practices for adopting chaos engineering in general, um, should the developers who are writing the code be doing it? Should a separate team of SREs be writing the experiments and managing that? Do you have any tips for somebody who's just getting started with chaos? Yes, I do. <laughs> Mostly learned from how I see people reacting to chaos, right? So, so far I've heard two sides of the stories. I'm really scared to practice chaos engineering in in production. Even if I'm convinced, my management is not convinced. My developers are not going to be happy if I'm going to intentionally start breaking things, right? So this is the first reaction. Uh, but in general, the SRE community has been open, increasingly open to the idea of uh, chaos first principle. There is a lot of advocacy that's happening in the last few years, uh, right from um, you know Amazon and uh, CNCF and uh, a few other folks. Uh, Netflix, of course, has been um, uh, the great promoter of it. So SREs do know that chaos engineering is uh, an inevitable choice, right? And um, your real question is uh, developers, right? So and that's also one of uh, the reasons why we created uh, the CRDs, so that it's very developer-friendly. For example, you can create a PVC when you're developing an application and you, you're consuming the storage underneath, right? So all you do is uh, create a Kubernetes object and then apply that object, you, you got your uh, resource. And similarly, as an extension through that, uh, even before you merge your code or it goes into deeper integration, Whatever chaos that can happen there, a developer can easily write that chaos, right? So what we've been recommending is um, SRS should really encourage developers to start writing chaos tests as part of the development uh, infrastructure or ecosystem itself so that they get used to the idea of you know, the organizations are going to introduce chaos at some point or not. So it's better to work with SREs and work with chaos engineering rather than just uh, delaying that. And uh, with Litmus, uh, it is easy for developers to use um, chaos in their uh, development lifecycle itself. So my best practice is developers should start doing chaos, like, for example, pod deletes. In those CA pipelines, just do some simple chaos tests and uh, see what happens. Um, you don't need to go for a complex workflows, but it's just like in addition to your unit testing and integration testing, do some chaos testing because it's easy to do and it's you don't need to learn anything. All the uh, simple experiments are available on the hub. You just bring it and uh, attach it to your application on wherever you want to introduce chaos and then you're done. Right. So that really starts the mindset of developers as well. And um, it encourages the SREs to do further and more difficult chaos tests. And SREs themselves, I think they don't directly go into the production. They take some time uh, to introduce chaos uh, into the production, probably six months to a year sometimes. But um, it's good to start with uh, your uh, long running test beds, your staging, all that. I think. Uh, there's no reason why SRS should not be using. And uh, because anyway, it would take some time to learn and tune it. And a bug fixed in staging is a bug fixed in production. 
Uh, there may be more bugs that are related to in production, but at least you're finding something that can eventually be found a weakness uh, in production. So my recommendation, yeah, definitely start uh, early. Start also with uh, developers. And uh, Kubernetes upgrades are another driving force uh, for this chaos testings. They're happening quite often, uh, the way uh, I've been observing. You just upgraded to Kubernetes now, and three months down the line, you have one more version available. And you need to do that. And uh, if your services are in production and they are to scale uh, large enough, then it's a big pain and to do the upgrade. And you had to do it in an automated way. Uh, well, that's CD is available. Continuous deployment. So you had to really inject the process of um, chaos testing before that upgrade. And you can automate that very easily. So it's chaos engineering is almost becoming an extension to the existing practices in, in DevOps. And automation, if you can automate anything, it takes time in the beginning, but you reap the benefits very soon. Yeah, for sure. The ability to use GitOps in Argo CD or Flux CD or any other GitOps tool to deploy the, the experiments is super cool and interesting. And it sounds like also, you know, the advice is if you're getting resistance from breaking things in production intentionally, there's still a ton of value in using Litmus on a pre-prod or even just in the CI process, get comfortable there, start fixing the low-hanging fruit, the bugs that come up, and eventually, down the road, start making the case for running it in production. Yes, uh, CI pipelines is uh, the first target, of course. We started using um, uh, Litmus in OpenABS.ci, so that's the CI pipeline. Uh, for, uh, I mean, it's end-to-end testing pipeline for OpenEBS. We call it as OpenEBS.ci, but um, yeah, the pipelines are a definite starting place. We also have a kind of um, similar to the other CI tools. Um, that's another thing that uh, we're seeing that is a trend. You can do that in CI pipelines. You can build your uh, chaos test into that. But uh, there is another trend that's happening uh, as a chaos CI type where you have Travis, you have GitLab, GitHub Actions, and why can't you have um, chaos actions, right? So that gets executed uh, before the PR gets merged. So it's an additional pipeline, just a chaos pipeline itself. And it could be run uh, against a targeted, uh, I mean, we have so many bots that are coming up now in your pipelines to test. So a PR is approved, that's great. And then it went through all the pipelines, testing, and now I want to do additional testing. Yeah, let's build up a chaos uh, testing pipeline and then use a bot to go and kickstart it and uh, do it. You, you need not touch your existing CI pipeline, you can have an additional chaos CI pipeline. So that's picking up, we are doing it. Uh, and then some people I keep hearing, but I see that as going forward, Chaos testing will become part of a developer's uh, mindset as well. And uh, they will be scared initially, but you have more freedom <laughs> once the PR is merged. Yes, I know that it was all tested. And whatever the SROs are going to test is much more complex use cases uh, or chaos workflows. But uh, as a developer, I've seen the code staying up against a certain set of failures. So that's that's more freedom to the developer's mind. Yeah, that's great. I think you, you mentioned earlier that SREs and, and folks working in the cloud-native ecosystem see chaos as the inevitable choice. And it's an interesting way to, to think about that because they're running you know, their Kubernetes cluster, their pods, their workloads in, in the cloud. 
And so it's an inevitable choice because like they might not realize it or not, but they're working in a chaotic environment and like they're getting chaos anyway. Pods, nodes, things, networking, everything's going to be breaking on them at all times. Yeah, it's, uh, we call it as chaos first principle. You're an SRE, you're starting on you know, your ops, you're strategizing, you build your infrastructure, you build your um, the upgrade strategies and uh, operational strategies. Uh, don't bring chaos strategy later. Right, bring chaos strategy on day one, and um, I build my infrastructure, and I also introduce chaos from day one. Right? Chaos cannot be postponed. So this I've heard from many chaos engineering practitioners, and um, I mean who are SREs and also uh, the known advisors like uh, Adrian uh, Cockcroft from AWS, uh, who's a big promoter of uh, chaos engineering. I really like the way he advocates uh, chaos first uh, principle. And it's true. I mean, we wanted chaos to be the first choice. That's why we created Litmus for our own um, SaaS ops. Great. And you've doubled down. You've continued to, to work on it. This was originally an internal testing tool at Maya Data, and then you, you made it an open source project. You really doubled down on it. I'm curious like, if there are any examples that come to mind where it caught some error, it caught some problem for you in a CI pipeline, in a pre-prod or in a production environment, and it happened and it saved you from actually troubleshooting and, and trying to like repair a stateful service that was broken that just made you realize like, yeah, like all the stories about you know chaos engineering are true. We're going to like make this an integral part of how we think about validating every release before we ship it. Sure. There are two experiences that come to my mind. One in OpenEBS, so one of the challenges for us was the volumes going into read-only mode, right? It was not easy to reproduce. It takes sometimes um, you, you need to bring down this volume and then at the same time, the node also uh, goes down and then it comes up in the rebuild process. Um, there is a sequence in which uh, this volumes can go into read-only. And uh, a lot of community users are successfully using, but uh, the most common error that we had seen at that time was uh, people reporting about uh, read-only, right? So, yeah, we did test uh, some negative test cases, but it was uh, not reproducible, and then it was taking a lot of time for uh, our automation developers to um, reproduce it, right? So we wanted to automate that, and um, we wanted to write a various chaos test flows, scenarios, right? Scenario number one is um, do this, do this, then bring it up and then wait for some time, bring this down. So that's scenario one. And then similarly, we came up with a few things and then we put that into pipelines. Within a few days, uh, you will see certain things, uh, volumes going into read-only. Then our developers instrumented the stack to see what are the risk conditions and uh, what could go wrong. And I think within a few weeks, those bugs were fixed, which were not possible in more than a month. So that's an example of how real weaknesses can be automated so the developers can find themselves easy to, uh, they don't need to wait for it. And they know that uh, the system can reproduce that weakness. So you go and uh, put um, an instrumentation. I'm sure uh, these guys can reproduce it in a day. Right or two, uh, you can kickstart more CI pipelines continuously and get the bug uh, at will. So that was one thing. And then second thing was in the cloud ecosystem that we have, I don't want to name that cloud service providers, but um, 
the nodes were going down pretty often, right? There was an instance where all the nodes were in not ready state for a few minutes, right? One node going down is uh, okay, but all nodes going down were, were a problem. So what we wanted to do was, I mean, our SaaS service went down once and primarily because uh, there was no case where if all the nodes were to become unavailable, it's like cluster reboot, right? So you don't expect uh, the Kubernetes service all the nodes going down on a cloud service provider to be going down at the same time, but they do go down, right? Or they did in our case. So uh, in our staging environment, we introduced uh, this case where uh, randomly, not at a particular time, you just bring down the nodes A, B, C, D, right? One after other without giving much time. And then we saw whatever the problems that we observed and then we fixed it. So I think it's, Sometimes you can observe a particular thing that just happened to you and uh, chaos engineering will, this infrastructure will help you just quickly set it up, right? Uh, the chaos workflow can be set up because you have a clear idea uh, on what it is. And you can be proactive in trying to imagine what can go wrong. But at least uh, SRE start with, um, yes, I burned my hands. Let me just do the same testing in staging and uh, developers can come and, uh, you know, they're more enthusiastic now because you're not just telling that there's a problem, they have to come back with solution. You're helping them on staging environment, pre-broad environment that, uh, hey guys, I can reproduce it. Come, let's solve it. So that was a great uh, example where our dev and SREs work together rather than just, uh, you know, pointing fingers that, yeah, my code is good and uh, it won't be reproduced again, <laughs> something like that. Great. And then, I'm assuming that a lot of these learnings in the early days are what drove the experiments that you're shipping in the hub right now. So if I just get started and install Litmus into my cluster and look in the hub for the some some default experiments that I can run, some of these are going to be some of the the lessons that you've learned the hard way, battle tested. Like here are good ways to get started. Yeah, and um, I think most of the generic uh, experiments that you need to do chaos are already there, and they're battle tested for sure. For example. The pod uh, memory hog and node memory hog extensions were added by our community user after they used Litmus in production on a very large scale. So that was really awesome. It is not just our experience. And uh, we have down the line, I think uh, uh, late last year, we found uh, Intuit uh, using for their internal Kubernetes uh, engines. So now they're a public reference. I can talk about them because the Intuit has become a maintainer on the project and uh, they've been contributing a lot. They just now merged a lot of AWS chaos testing that they did with Litmus uh, back into the hub. So yeah, they are definitely battle tested and that's the idea of the hub where more minds are coming together and uh, they are sharing their experience back to the community by sending a PR to an existing experiment. And uh, tunables are another part. So the chaos experiments are completely tunable in terms of uh, what library you would use to inject a chaos or how long you do that. And uh, together with that uh, Argo workflow, it's really amazing how quickly you can code up a complex error or scenario that uh, you want to introduce, primarily into staging, right? So you don't introduce such complex ones into uh, production. Uh, production starts slowly, but uh, what I've seen is you know exactly what happened and you want to code it up. So let's go and 
within a day, you, you are actually reproducing it. Yeah, these are very much battle tested. We had about 20 experiments six months down the line. Now we have 33. So, and uh, recent ones were primarily coming from or driven by community, right? So uh, not just uh, our own experience. Great. Yeah, and, and Intuit, you know, created Argo workflows. So, you know, adding Litmus into that, it feels like it's just a really good way to ensure your your GitOps pipeline is is working well. Yes. Um, and I assume, you know, you're using uh, Litmus to run chaos experiments against Litmus. So I know I'm getting like a high quality product when I'm deploying it into my cluster, right? <laughs> yes, we are. I mean, like it becomes a little bit complicated if you open that, you know, what happens uh, if Litmus doesn't work. That's the chaos you wanted to introduce. So we have used some logic of Litmus, uh, not in Kubernetes native way, but uh, we run pipelines for Litmus itself, uh, which are also in open, the pipeline testing. So what we do is, um, what happens if there is an operator issue, Litmus chaos operator just stops, which is introducing or managing the chaos itself. So we go and break some of it by injecting chaos from outside the Litmus cluster, right? So yeah, uh, in summary, we are using Litmus mindset to test Litmus itself. And um, on your other point, Intuit, uh, definitely interactions with them led us to adopt Argo workflow in a very native way. The Litmus portal that's coming out uh, soon under development, um, the code is already open source, is building Argo workflows natively into the Litmus uh, portal itself. So install Litmus portal, you can create an Argo workflow by taking all these experiments, put them together, we are in fact having some predefined templates for this uh, chaos workflows. You can just run them one by one, and I'm pretty sure you will you will have some learnings just by running them once. Yeah, those those early design partners, you know, like like Intuit for you, um, are so instrumental to like building a good product that's solving and meeting customer demand. Talking about that for a minute, I'd love to understand more about what types of experiments Litmus is capable of doing today. You know, you, you mentioned a few around, you know, memory hog for a pod, um, killing a node, but how, how deeply does it integrate to the cloud provider or into Kubernetes? What, what types of stuff can I do currently with Litmus? Yeah, so we call that as uh, um, two types of experiments, generic versus application-specific. Generic really means that they are Kubernetes specific. Uh, Kubernetes got, has got a lot of resources uh, like a, a, a pod container and a network, etc. Right. So whatever the chaos that you introduce against these resources, we call it as generic chaos. And um, among the generic chaos experiments, there is another category called infrastructure chaos. So you want to bring down Kubernetes node. And then you want to actually introduce node hog, uh, CPU hog or memory hog. So overall, inside the generic experiments, we have uh, a pod delete and a container kill and uh, pod memory hog, CPU memory hog, CPU pod CPU hog, etc. And network is another important things. Network can there can be latency that can, you can see and complete loss of a network between two pods. And uh, sometimes network corruption also can happen. The packets don't come, right? And uh, network duplication can come in. So we have some network-related uh, experiments uh, in these areas. And uh, the other one that uh, really came as um, uh, one of the meetups, uh, users were saying, 
hey, it's great, but we really had a problem with our Kubelet service itself uh, becoming not responsive the way uh, we expected. So this public cloud uh, service providers who manage uh, Kubernetes uh, master for you, master uh, nodes for you, if there is an issue with Kubelet service, they will restart immediately. But if you're doing your own Kubernetes uh, master management, you probably had to be aware that you have to automate it, right? But it means that Kubelet service can go down and it's like your heart stopped beating for some time. And um, there is uh, there's no Kubelet service redundancy. So what happens to your services at that time, right? So you want to test that scenario. So we introduced uh, a Kubernetes service scale and uh, Docker service scale is another thing uh, at the underlying Docker daemon can go for a toss. So these are what we call as generic. And then there are application-specific. Application-specific is where we are pretty excited about uh, going further. Once you are finding weaknesses related to the faults related uh, inside Kubernetes resources, your resilience is reached to a certain level, but uh, applications themselves can go for a toss. For example, we know OpenMBS very well. And we know what exactly a fault that can happen inside an OpenABS resource. Uh, for example, just make sure the iSCSI service stops responding for, for a certain amount of time. Right? How can you even reproduce that kind of a fault scenario? Only OpenABS developers can write that as an experiment and then share it to OpenABS users. Right, so it's whoever is writing the CI pipelines, complex CI pipelines, and if it's an open source test, or even if it's not open source, if they want their users to introduce such kind of application errors in their pre-production staging environments, uh, it's a chance for them to give their those experiments. So we have some for Cassandra, Kafka, and Core DNS and OpenEBS, and more are coming, Redis, I think, is on its way. And uh, we expect community to realize the value of uploading a chaos experiment specific to their application so that their users can uh, make use of it, right? So it's all about being transparent with your users, right? There is a problem that can happen, and don't uh, hide it, but just tell them that uh, this is how you can uh, introduce a failure in one of my applications scenarios, and uh, the, here is a solution. Right, here is how you configure your application or avoid it. And uh, it's better to be in that mode rather than just document it somewhere in a known issue and uh, let your user face that issue uh, whenever they can. Right. So that was the motive for us uh, at OpenEBS. Just tell this is the chaos testing that you can do. Go break OpenEBS and see still it stays live or not. Yeah, that, that's great. I think as applications are, you know, being packaged as operators and CRDs today, they're starting to rely on the underlying Kubernetes infrastructure even more. You know, a lot of them will use etcd, core DNS a lot more internally. Um, it'd be great to live in a world where I'm deploying a Helm chart, and the Helm chart comes with chaos experiments that I can enable by turning that on in the values YAML if I want to. Yeah, I mean, install it and then run something. Yeah. Now that Litmus is in the sandbox, I'd love to move on and talk about the roadmap, the plans. What are you guys thinking about? What's next right now? What are the current tasks that you're working on and challenges? Right. I think uh, for us, the observability is uh, the next piece in chaos engineering. Uh, we did work the last 18 months to make sure that your design is right, your design is verified, uh, you bring in more maintainers, 
you just don't preach that your design is right, but have some real references where people have adopted you because your design is good. And Intuit was a great response uh, in that fashion. So we believe the basic uh, infrastructure from um, design perspective is complete and we have enough uh, cases. And the next one is observability. So, so what if I have a great tool or great infrastructure for introducing a fault and I want to understand what exactly happened when the fault happened, introduced. And this is typically where the complex issues are buried uh, inside. And for example, yeah, last upgrade went fine the following, but uh, after I upgraded, something is not working. Right. This is what my staging is telling. So you want to go and verify observability. Uh, I mean, your stats or graphs. Uh, around last time versus now and try to correlate. You want to get a visual display of the context of various resources when chaos happened last time versus now. So we are introducing, and that's one. The other one is uh, the recent learning that uh, chaos workflows are a need, uh, Argo workflow. Uh, it's good to say that uh, you can automate yourself using an Argo workflow versus uh, here is an Argo workflow uh, and here are 10 Argo workflows. Just go run it and um, and let your team see what happened. So that's where Litmus Portal is coming. I think it's a big project for us. It'll take uh, next two, three quarters uh, to get it completely done, but uh, we're releasing Alpha next month. And uh, for incubation, I think it's the due diligence that matters. CNCF process is kind of clear. You need more companies, uh, more maintainers from various companies not just the primary sponsors, my data. I think we do have a good pipeline in that context. Uh, our list of maintainers are at the level of incubation already. And um, we may have a good reference users, a large production deployments using Litmus um, out there. I mean, we already have a few, but I'm pretty sure in the coming months, a uh, few more will come. I think uh, that's good for incubation. I'm thinking incubation can happen quickly, the way Litmus uh, is uh, situated right now. But for us, graduation really means um, a lot of application-specific chaos experiments. Uh, we are trying to do IO chaos, file system chaos, and uh, Istio is another thing that keeps coming up. Um, so naturally, all these popular projects should see Litmus as a kind of a, a first citizen, the way you mentioned after Helm, let me pack up some chaos experiments that I think should be installed, right? So that's that kind of a thing will happen soon after. It's like one thing leading to the other. After incubation, before graduation, we see more CNC or projects using Litmus as a natural choice. And um, then it's driven by community. So that's where uh, I would think. And uh, we also see some cloud service providers expressing interest. Uh, hey, no, this is good. And uh, I give, just like a Helm chart example, I give a cluster. So see it for yourself. And before going too much into production, you can use chaos testing as a service, right? So on my data side, we have plans to build uh, some kind of a solutions using Litmus, but um, that's another thing that I see happening using Litmus chaos uh, testing as a service by clouds. That's great. The portal sounds super interesting. I'm curious now that Litmus is in the sandbox, what's the best way for people to get engaged? Are you, are you looking mostly for people to write experiments, contribute to the product, or just create use cases and run it in their environments? 
Yeah, great question, actually. Um, this is the confusion we also had. There is so much interest that is coming in. First and foremost, it's uh, the usage and you tell whether you know things are working the way you want. And um, people obviously come to Slack channel telling that they don't uh, find it working. Uh, so you found an issue. So that's happening. And we are uh, we have call home metrics that says around uh, 40 to 50 operators being installed almost on a daily basis. That was some time ago. And then because of the ecosystem that is there, people are very much inclined to contribute back. So we see people go extend the experiment and add it um, back to the hub. So that's definitely happening. Another thing with Sandbox is um, the use cases, right? You mentioned, uh, will they come back with new use cases? So there is observability, there is Helm deployment. So what we did is um, we created SIGs within uh, Litmus, uh, driven by the enthusiasm of CNCF model. <laughs> so we have multiple SIGs within Litmus, uh, observability SIG, deployment SIG, experiment SIG. Etc. So we are seeing small teams being formed within the community, and uh, some person says that, um, yeah, I'm interested in actually submitting a Grafana chart for um, a particular application because I'm an expert in that. And how do I actually overlay chaos uh, with a particular application Grafana chart? So there are a lot more development that needs to be done. We have tons of application, and uh, we need chaos overlaid charts around those applications, so we have observability SIG. So we introduced that model actually last week only. Uh, so we expect community to form their own groups and uh, we are, at least the core team, we are trying to be available as uh, mentors to give them the initial start and uh, eventually somebody leading that SIG as we go beyond uh, incubation. Great. And it sounds like Litmus was pretty mature for entering the sandbox. How active were you involved in the process of actually submitting Litmus to the sandbox? And do you feel like that was an easy effort and worth the... Worth yeah, I mean, like we were around the time, uh, if it was today, uh, I would have felt it much uh, easier. Recently, uh, the TOC has really uh, clarified uh, a much easier process for getting into sandbox. But um, we were around the time where uh, the process itself was uh, being updated. And I did feel at some point that, you know, we have enough uh, evidence to do the incubation directly. Um, the sandbox process was in limbo at that point. So I felt um, maybe we should have applied to incubation, but <laughs> they quickly came back and said that um, these are the following guidelines for having uh, a project to be accepted uh, into sandbox and TOC is going to vote on it. Uh, depending on whether a project has adhered to those guidelines. The guidelines are simple, pretty enough. You need to prove that there's a community value. It should be around uh, overall cloud-native ecosystem uh, should benefit. And the questionnaire was good. So I think now it's much easier. But there was a time three months ago, for example, we applied it in uh, March and we waited for about three months just for the process to be and become clear. And there were many projects uh, in that shape. That's why you see there were a bunch of projects, around 10 or 11 of them being accepted in one shot. But after that, I think now it's pretty easy. Yeah, we're actually really excited about that. I think you know, lowering the bar, making it so much easier for sandbox projects. Um, you know, Not all of them are going to make it out of the sandbox, but it's, it's really great to get some more eyes on, on the whole ecosystem in general. 
Yeah, I mean, like CNC have earned that uh, that image. Uh, I guess uh, everybody looks at um, okay, you're in sandbox. That means there is some due diligence that is already put in. So I should I should go look at it, and it's an enthusiasm for the maintenance as well. And it's easier to build an ecosystem around that. You you get more ideas. More people are trying out litmus. For example, we were having fifty thousand experiments in July. Now we're already hundred thousand in just few months. And so the rate at which litmus is being used is uh, you know much higher after the sandbox uh, adoption. So it definitely helps from a community adoption point of view. That's a really good metric there. Um, and you have another project. You know, my data has Open EBS, which has been around in the sandbox for for quite a while, and um, it's a little bit you know off topic from Litmus, but I'm curious how you've seen that that one's been around for so much longer. Do you see Open EBS also graduating into the incubation phase pretty soon? Uh, yes, definitely. In fact, uh, we just submitted uh, that for incubation stage last week, uh, early this week. Yeah, it's it's data, and uh, data is a little more complex in terms of uh, the standards. But uh, it's a lot more critical and valuable, right? So uh, everybody needs a proper. I mean, it's like barrier to adoption uh, within an organization. How successful your Kubernetes implementation has become really depends on um, how well your data layer underneath is, right? So the project itself is like hugely adopted, right? Uh, we just went through the annual sandbox uh, review process. It got cleared. And you know some of it is like really it's so busy and uh, it takes some time to go through this process and then put it out there. But I think um, in the next few months uh, we should see uh, we are graduating into incubation, the Open EBS project. We have some real large scale adoptions or due diligence. I don't think uh, uh, that's an issue. It's, it's just that uh, the process that's required to submit incubation had to cover certain. Guidelines, documentation, all that. I think we submitted that. We should see that uh, sailing through. That's great. Yeah, it's it's really cool that you guys are building uh, Litmus out in the open and started putting it into the sandbox, you know, pretty early and in kind of taking advantage of that that process and that adoption. It's it's great to see those, hear those metrics around the the increased use, the visibility that the sandbox has created for the project. Yes, awesome. Great. I mean, that's a lot of really great information about Litmus and chaos engineering principles in general. I think it's uh, uh, hopefully everybody's running chaos right now or in running intentional chaos, um, chaos first principles. Uma, did we? Is there anything else that we, we missed that we should talk about? No, I think uh, thanks for asking a, a wide ranging questions, Mark. Uh, we did cover um, you know past, present, and future. Um, yeah, the final words from me is. Uh, Follow the chaos first principle. It's easy for developers to imagine chaos as an extension to your code. And uh, if you follow that principle, you will find bugs before somebody else finds them. Right. So I think chaos engineering will become a kind of a natural um, next step for both developers and uh, SREs. Uh, there's more clarity coming around. So yeah, uh, I'm happy to be part of this journey and uh, looking forward to getting more uh, feedback uh, through the community and contributions uh, from the community. Awesome. Thanks, Uma. And looking forward to continuing to try Litmus and and watching it mature and grow through the CNCF ecosystem. Thanks, Mark. That's all we have time for today. If you're the maintainer of a CNCF project and would like to be a guest on this show, head over to kublist.com. 
To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com to check out the library. It's packed with amazing talks and content on sales, marketing, product, and more for founders of developer tools companies. And this podcast is brought to you by my company, Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software to their largest enterprise customers. Check us out at replicated.com.